Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. All right, so we're, uh, we're, we're going on in our series in the book of Genesis. And uh, the chapter we come to today, chapter 23, you know, after you hear me read it or when I read it, you, you kind of think, why is this in the Bible? <laughs> um, it doesn't even mention God. There's no dramatic story uh, like the rest of Genesis I mean, the matriarch, Sarah, dies. She dies, and Abraham buys a piece of property to bury her. That's it. It's not dramatic. It's not compelling. There's no miracles. So why is it here? Well, let's try to figure it out. Why don't you stand, and we'll read God's word together. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died, that place, that is Hebron, (laughs) in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and weep for her. And Abraham rose up before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the Hittites answered, Abraham, hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and he bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephraim, the son of Zohar, that he might give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns, it is, at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephraim was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in at the gate of his city. No, my Lord, hear me. I will give you the field. I will give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I will give it to you. Bury your dead. But Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephraim, in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephraim answered Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephraim. And Abraham weighed out for Ephraim the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights of the current among the merchants. And so the field of Ephraim at Machpelah 
which was at the east of, uh, of Mamre in the field of the cave that is in the land with all the trees were in the field throughout the whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave in the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. This is the reading of God's word. Every bit of it is true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. You may be seated. Last, uh, last week, my wife jumped on an airplane to fly to Amarillo, Texas to uh, see her mom. And uh, she was seated next to a 15-year-old boy. His skin was as dark as the night. He did not speak English. She had to help him with his seatbelt. He did not even know what it was. He was wearing borrowed clothes, he smelled, he was crippled from an injury and he had a cane. He was a refugee. My wife said that everything in her screamed, somebody take this boy home. And then she said the ache of realizing there was no home for him to go to. Janice Joplin, the rock star, when she was a little girl, her mom found her outside one night wandering from their house. And her mom called out to Janice, Janice, where are you going? And Janice said back to her mom, I'm going home. I'm going home. At the age of 27, Janice overdosed on heroin. Her closest friend described her as the best publicized homeless person of the 60s. Homelessness, longing for home. It is the deepest ache in the human heart. It is the ache underneath all of our pursuits. Cornelius Plantica said this, He said, our longing for home runs in us like a stream. Even though we divert it towards other objects, we human beings want God even when we think what we really want is a green valley or a good time from the past or a loved one. Of course, we do want these things, but we also want what lies behind them. You know, when somebody is new to Florida, which happens a lot, right? What is the most common question we ask them? Yeah, where are you from? Where's home for you? You know, maybe we ought to ask them another question. Maybe we ought to ask them, where are you going? Well, hopefully the answer is, I'm going home. Take a sermon outline. Let's look at this passage together. First, homeland death. This passage begins 
with the death of Sarah in the land of Canaan, which is the promised land. But she did not die at home. She is a foreigner in the land. Now Moses is writing the book of Genesis to Israel while they are in exile. They are not in the promised land. They are not at home. They are wandering, suffering, and many of them are dying outside the promised land. Now, Sarah's death in this passage is the occasion that is pointing us to something else. That death and suffering and violence remind us of our homelessness and our longing for home. One writer said this, he said, our hearts are so profoundly enlightened in times of pain, we realize that we were not created for grief, but for joy, not death, but life. Look at the picture of this little girl. She's in a refugee camp and her mother has just died. And so she takes a piece of chalk and she draws a picture of her mother and she curls up on it. The loss of her mother made her ache for home. We have death and suffering, don't we? I've done a lot of funerals in my 25 years here. I did one yesterday morning for a sweet man named Jay Decker. We have loss. I lost my dad two years ago. I lost my brother this year. We feel the loss, we feel the homelessness. So what are we to do so far from home? Well, first we weep. Abraham mourned and he wept for his wife. His sorrow was deep. The word mourn here means that he carried out the full traditions and the emotions of the great loss in his life. We are not to be fake. We're not to be Pollyanna. It is, it is right and it is good to be sad about sad things. Jesus wept. We should weep in our losses. But the Bible also tells us that we grieve not like the rest of men who have no hope. We grieve but not as though we have no hope. What does that mean? What does that mean to grieve without hope? It means despair does not rule over us. Now, I have seen up close uh, uh, the despair of hopeless grief. Just one time I was asked by a church member to go to hospice to see her young coworker who was dying. And so I went over to see these people. I didn't know them. They were not Christians. I go into the hospice room. There's like nine or 10 people there in the family. And the despair in that room, the darkness, the weight of it in that room was like being covered in several heavy wet blankets. It was just thick. I still remember leaning over her as she's gasping for breath and just whispering Jesus into her ear. We weep, but despair does not rule us. And when the grim reaper of despair does knock on our door, we have a savior who intercedes for us. He's acquainted with sorrow and grief and he bears it with us. In fact, Jesus feels your anguish 
even more deeply than you do. Why? Because the Bible says that in Christ, we are united with him. He feels it as we do. He has died, he has risen. And in Christ, we can know that our death day is actually better than our birthday. Mark Ashton was a vicar in St. Andrews in Cambridge, England. And at the age of 62, he was diagnosed with inoperable gallbladder cancer. But because of his faith and joy in Christ, this guy showed great confidence and ease at his coming death. He even had this sense of anticipating joy about him. And he was keenly aware of the sadness that his family felt, but everyone he talked to, he would talk about his coming death with poise and confidence and rest and peace, so much so that people really, they were uncomfortable when he would say it. Now, how did he do that? He knew he was going home. We weep and we also hate Abraham lost his beloved wife. We have lost. So what else do we do far from home? We look at death and evil, and we know that we are looking at the enemy of God, and we hate them with a holy hatred. That's not the way it's supposed to be. David Hart wrote this in 2004 after the tsunami that killed so many. He said, of a child dying an agonizing death from diphtheria, of a young mother ravaged by cancer, of tens of thousands of Asians swallowed up in an instant by the sea, of the millions murdered in death camps and gulags and forced famines, our faith is in a God who has come to rescue his creation from the absurdity of sin and the emptiness of death. And so we are permitted to hate these things with a perfect hatred. And as for comfort, when we seek it, I can imagine none greater than the happy knowledge that when we see the death of a child, I do not see the face of God, but the face of his enemy. It is a faith that has set us free from optimism and taught us to hope instead. You know, Jesus, he wept at the tomb of Lazarus, his friend. And the Bible says that he was once more deeply moved in his spirit. And that phrase means that he bellowed with anger. He hates death. He's come to do something about it. Ray and I went to go uh, visit this uh, young couple in the hospital and they just, just lost their firstborn son. I remember Ray taking this young man by the shoulders and looking him in the eye and saying, nobody hates this more than Jesus. He hates death. We also, being far from home, we, we want another the Bible is full of one anothering. We bear one another's burdens. We don't let each other suffer alone. We pull together. We grieve together. We fight for one another. You know, as I mentioned, my dad died 
died two years ago. There's five kids in my family. And um, my dad was a, you know, he's a really good guy. And uh, he, he was my hero. I loved spending time with my dad. I loved getting my phone calls from him. And so I was to preach his service in Sarasota, Florida. You know, I've done lots of funerals. And this funeral took me four hours to write, and I sobbed and wept the whole time. And so I'm going down to do this funeral, and I'm literally physically shaking. I cannot stop the tremoring. And we get there, and I kind of pull myself together enough to get out of the car. And then it happens. I turn and look, and there's this caravan of cars coming. Boom, 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 boom. The doors are swinging open. And person after person after person from Seven Rivers Church came down there. Church staff Guys from my men's group, some of you guys were there. There was between 30 or 40 people from our church there. There's more Seven Rivers people there than any other uh, group. They would not let me do it alone. And my niece, uh, she she was to sing a, a, a solo, Amazing Grace. She's got a powerful, powerful voice. And my, my papa, my, my dad, her papa loved to hear her sing. And so she stands up to sing Amazing Grace and she starts to weep and she can't sing. And then she, she tries again and she stammers out the first words and then she just stops. She starts heavy breathing and then it's like everyone knew this was her last attempt to sing. And just as she started, the Seven Rivers folks begin to sing with her, led by the hills, raising their voices, raising her voice until she was completely soaring on her own. That's what we do away from home. In each other's darkest moments, we're there to lift our voices together. Lewis says this, he says, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must make it my main objective to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. Second, homeland. So Abraham rises from his sorrow and mourning and immediately moves into the heart of the story, which is getting the homeland. This is the tension. This is the angst of the story. God earlier had promised that he would give Abraham this land. And the original audience, as they're reading this story, this is the whole tension for them. They're they're on the edge of their seats listening to see, is Abraham gonna get it? Will Abraham and all of us in exile reading this story get the promised land? Or will we remain homeless? So that's the question, will we ever get home? And Abraham says to them, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Now, a sojourner and a foreigner was not allowed to own land. And the Hittites here, I mean, they sound so generous and they have this like over the top good manners and they just keep telling Abraham, Abraham, no problem, bud, we'll give it to you. It's a gift. 
But behind all their southern niceties, they wanted to keep Abraham a customer. They want to keep him as a renter because they don't want any outsiders owning land because then outsiders would have rights. And if, besides, if they, give the, if they give the land to Abraham as a gift, well, then they look good. But then as soon as Abraham dies, they take it back. This is why Abraham keeps pressing to purchase the land. You think, well, why didn't he just take the gift? I mean, don't turn down a free lunch. No, he presses because he's leveraging to get a piece of the land for the future. He's trying to pull the future into the present to get God's promises for his sorrows and for his people. Can I ask you something? You know, post-Hurricane Ian, do you guys got any questions? Well, that's interesting. You guys don't have any questions, right? I mean, it's kind of interesting that you don't have a question about that. Huh. Look at this picture. Do you think the people who lost their homes, lost their property, can't even live where they, were, where they used to live? Do you think they have a question? Yeah. You know what their question is? Will we ever get to go home? It's the question. Look at Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has its foundations, whose designer and builder is God. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. That's what he's doing. Having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Listen, grasping the importance of this question is central to understanding your life. Because all of our sin, our sorrow, our frustrations, our sadnesses, our stress, our disappointments are meant to show us that we're not home. And if we look at them, you will see it. You will see our wandering and you will see that it often springs from our disordered loves. This week, this week, this sermon was killing me. It was destroying me. I could not get it written. I was overcome with stress and fear and angst, just disproportionately so. I mean, it was affecting me physically. And on Thursday afternoon, my, my daughter who lives in Atlanta was on a late lunch break and she was out walking. She called me on the phone. She just called to talk to dad. And she called on the phone and as we're talking, she goes, dad, what, are you okay? She goes, you sound so stressed. I believed too much that getting this sermon right would get me home, that it would give me rest. I believed that it and I was the solution. 
Thus my stress, the panic, the pressure overwhelms me. <laughs> How about you? Is it a health issue? Is it getting your kid in the right college? Is it getting a bigger house? Is it getting a better marriage? Is it getting, is it getting the ideal retirement? That you're just obsessed with retirement being a certain way. Any place where you're chasing hard, where you have strong emotions present, thinking that it will give you deep rest, it's proof of your homelessness. Verse 14 again, for people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. Malcolm Mulgridge, the British journalist, said that the motif... The theme of his life was summed up in this. He said, the first thing I remember about the world, and I pray that it is my last, is this, that I am a stranger in it. Lewis says this, our father refreshes us on the journey with some pleasant ends, but he will not encourage us to mistake it for home. So how do we get home? How do we get home? Ephraim offers Abraham a price for the land, thinking there's no way he'll bite on it because it is way, way overpriced. That's what you do when you want to appear kind and generous, but you don't want to sell something. He way overprices it. Well, then the shock is that Abraham pays the price. He doesn't even barter for a lower price. Why? Why? Can you put a price on getting your kids home safely? No. In 1999, there was a film called The Three Seasons. It was about life in post-war Vietnam. And one of the stories was about Hai, a man who was a bicycle rickshaw driver for a living, and Lan, a beautiful prostitute. And both of them have deep, unfulfilled longings. And Hai is so in love with Lan, but she is out of his price range. And Lan lives in grinding poverty. And she longs to live in the beautiful world of the elegant hotels where she works. But she never sleeps. She hopes the money she makes by prostitution would be her means of escape. But that lifestyle brutalizes her and enslaves her. And then high, he wins this bicycle race. And the top prize is a lot of money. And so with the money, he takes land to this elegant hotel. He pays for the night and he pays her fee. But then, to the shock of everyone, he tells her he just wants to watch her fall asleep. He's using his power, instead of have sex with her, to give her a place for one night in the normal world to fulfill her desire to belong. Well, Lan is deeply troubled by this. She feels like High is trying to control her. But then she realizes that he is using his wealth to serve her. And it begins to change her 
making it impossible for her to return to the homeless life of prostitution. Sound like a story you know? Jesus left his home. He became poor. He became homeless. And he paid the -the over-the-top high price of his own precious blood. He died. He was buried in a borrowed tomb all so that he could bring you home to the Father's house. So where and what is home? Jesus, the the son of Abraham, is born in the land of Canaan. But his vision of the promised land is much larger than just Canaan or Israel. In the Old Testament, God promised the anointed one. He said, ask of me, And I will make the nations your inheritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And then Jesus expands the view of the promised land beyond the lands of Canaan in in Matthew. And he says, blessed are the meek, for you shall inherit the earth. And then in 2 Peter says that we are waiting for a new heavens, a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, Jesus' disciples are troubled in John 14. And he says to them, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a home for you, a real physical place where there'll be laughter and feasting and dancing and singing and family in my father's house. So what's the address? What do you set your GPS on to get there. Revelations 21. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. And they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. So Sarah is buried in the promised land. She's buried there as an owner in the land. You know, homeland is a real important theme in the book of Genesis. It comes back to it again and again. And it's also so important that literally the last Verse in chapter 50 of Genesis, Joseph is dying. He's dying in Egypt. And the Bible says that he gives strict instructions that his bones are to be carried back to this exact place to be buried. So, what is Abraham and Joseph trying to communicate to their offspring? trying to get across to the next generation. Well, one day, I'm gonna die. And I'm gonna be buried. And underneath my name, on my tombstone, there are to be two words. And those two words are a message to my kids. And to my grandkids and to all of my descendants, 
The two words are be there. Be there. Find your way home in Jesus. And finally, possession. All the commentators say that these final verses are overemphasizing the security that Abraham actually did, in fact, become in full possession of the land. And it's, it's, it's interesting because it's like this full, secure, final real estate deal. You know, layers and layers. All those papers are signed. Sign that paper. You know how you sign all those papers. It's like all that's happening because it gives a full description of where the place is several times or everyone would know what it is. It says there was, there was witnesses. There was a price. The deal was closed. All the Hittites were done. And there were lawyers present. Yeah, it's right there in the Bible. Lawyers were there, making sure it was legal. How do I know? Because it says twice, at the gate of the city, in front of all the people of the land, that's where all the legal transactions happened. So why is this? The reason for this is so that all future generations would know where the beginning of full possession of the land took place, that it was secure. Now, for us... The Bible says, if you are in Christ, then you have the full inheritance, that you have the land, the homeland in secure possession now. It belongs to you, even though you've never walked the property. How do I know this? Well, one example is Paul says in Romans 8, he's talking about how our salvation works. And he says, you are glorified. He doesn't say you will be glorified. You will receive glory. He says your past tense. It's already done. It's already secure. God promised the land and he promises to get us fully home. But here's the question. Why does any father want to get his kids home? So they can see the property? (laughs) No. No. Because he wants to have them in his possession. Remember the big covenant promise? God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. You will be my treasured possession. And then the shocker of it is, it says that we will be in possession of God, that God will be our possession. We just read it. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Full possession. As I told you, in 2019, um, I buried my dad. Um, When I was a kid, uh, my dad and I ran together. That was our thing. We did races. And we also got into uh, running marathons. Uh, That was our thing. That's what we did as a father and son. In fact, here's a picture of me. Uh, We're uh, running the Boston Marathon. Uh, And I know you wish you had those dark green sweatbands. I can't find them. Um, But that's what we did. So my son... Uh, Sam currently is training for uh, a marathon. He's never run one. He's training for it. And uh, 
he, he told me that he was gonna make a, a, a race shirt, a shirt to be worn on race day. So he took this picture and put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> now, when I saw that picture, I, I, I wept. I was really moved by that. But then I said, I want one of those t-shirts. <laughs> so I got one. Right? Now, why did I want the t-shirt so bad? Because I miss my dad. And so do you. You see, going home means we get full possession of the heavenly father. That's what it means to be home in the father's house. And the door on which we have been knocking all of our lives will finally be open and we will be home. C.S. Lewis says this, the sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to find the place where all the beauty comes from, to be home. Let's pray. Father, by your spirit, you have pricked our hearts this morning. We have to admit we've gotten lost trying to create the ultimate home here. Would you awaken our spirits to long and to get back on the journey towards home in all that we do? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.